We are in the midst of a mini-sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We've taken some time out from our bigger sermon series on 1 Peter and are injecting this mini-sermon series of four weeks on the Holy Spirit and different aspects of the Holy Spirit. So last Sunday, Keith Yoder, uh, one of uh, the members of our oversight team at Cornerstone, um, came to visit us and teach us on receiving the Holy Spirit. And so Keith talked about um, this idea that we have this active role in receiving the Holy Spirit. That he taught out of Ephesians 5, and this idea that, that we have to reach out, and he physically showed us the reaching out to receive the gifts and to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. We, we are active, active in that. And Ephesians 5 talks about ways in which we can, we can invite the Holy Spirit in, that we can invite the Holy Spirit to come into our lives through um, singing of spiritual songs, through being thankful in every situation. And um, thirdly, it was so we can be submitting to one another out of reverence for, reverence for Christ. So those three things, singing songs, spiritual songs, outwardly and in our spirits, in our hearts, giving thanks in all situations, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that invites the Spirit. That's us reaching out to the Spirit to receive the good things of the Spirit. Um, Doing those things also manifests the Spirit already filled in us. So we can invite the Spirit through those things, but we can also exhibit and make manifest the presence of the Spirit in our lives by, by living those things. And this isn't a formula. This isn't, okay, well, today I should really, you know, exhibit the Spirit at work a little bit, so maybe I'll submit today. No, it's an overflow of who we are. It's who we want to be. It's not a, a checklist. It's not a to-do list. It, it is who we are in Christ. Um, today we're going to be looking at resisting the Spirit. So we, we receive the Spirit, but if we're not receiving the Spirit, then we're resisting the Spirit. If we are not actively involved in our lives in receiving the Spirit of God, then we are, by definition and by default, resisting the work of the Spirit in our lives and in our community, frankly, because we're designed to be in relationship with one another. We're going to look at this um, through um, some scripture that comes out of Acts 6 and 7 and looking, looking at the story of Stephen, which you may be familiar with. So let's go to prayer and then we're going to go to Acts 6 and we're going to jump in this morning. God, I pray that you would um, bring your word alive to us. We know that your word is not just two-dimensional, that it's three-dimensional that it comes alive in our lives, it comes alive in our hearts, it comes alive in our relationships with other people. Um, It's meant to be understood and to be known, but then to just flourish and to grow and to bear fruit in our lives. So God, I pray that your word today would bear fruit in your lives and that we would be ones who receive your spirit, who brings truth to us, and that we would not be ones who resist, God. So if there's barriers, if there's walls there today, God, if there's hurt and there's pain and there's distraction, God, um, open us up to receive your truth through the Spirit today, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. So go ahead. um, You can open up to Acts 6. I'm not going to read through Acts 6 and 7, but we're going to hit various portions of the passage. So who is Stephen? You may know who Stephen is, but let me give you a little bit of a background on who he is. 
So Stephen comes on the scene here in Acts 6 when there's this dispute between the Hebrew-speaking Christians and the Greek-speaking Christians. The Hebrew followers of Christ, the Jews that have turned to Christ, and the Greeks, the Gentiles who have turned to Christ. And the dispute is over the food distribution to widows. So the widows among these two groups of people, are they getting their fair share of the food? These women are on their own. They, they don't have, their husband has passed away. They need help from their communities. And so there's this food distribution going on to give them food. But there seems to be some slight that has appeared towards the Greek speaking Christians, that those widows are not getting the appropriate amount of food. So the disciples get together and they pick seven godly individuals, seven godly men to um, manage this food distribution program, which is really important. It's not just like, hey, we disciples have all this important stuff to do. Um, we're about the word and we're about, you know, sharing the gospel. Somebody else needs to take care of this busy work. No, it's not, it's not like that at all. This food distribution is very real. It is the truth coming alive in their community, but it needs to be done properly. So they select these seven um, godly individuals, and Stephen is one of those seven. And the passage talks about Stephen and his character in some pretty, pretty glowing ways. Um, it says in chapter 6, it says that um, Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Um, it also says that he was full of God's grace and God's power, and that he performed amazing miracles among the people. So we know what kind of man Stephen is. A little further down in chapter 6, Stephen finds himself, um, in addition to helping to manage this food program um, in an uh, equitable way, he finds himself um, debating some Jews about their religion and what they believe. And apparently, Stephen has some pretty awesome um, arguments against how they're walking out their faith because it upsets them. And they have no response to him and the arguments that he's bringing. And uh, the passage says that none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So he's, he's arguing the faith in a way to help them understand truth, not just to win an argument, but to help them understand truth, to show them how their ways, how their beliefs, and how they live out their beliefs are off target. Well, they don't like this, right? These are Jews who, who are culturally Jewish. Um, they've been living, you know, the law for many years. And now somebody is coming and saying, this isn't right. There's something new happening and you're missing it and you're off and you're missing truth. So Stephen's under attack now and they bring these people in to make up lies against him for what he's saying. And they end up dragging him to this religious high council where they're gonna judge him. Um, based on the things that he's saying. There's going to be some sort of a problem for Stephen if he can't give a good account of what he's saying and why he's saying it. And so there's lies being told to kind of already slant things against Stephen in this high council. And the offense that the Jews took was that for them, the two main things are the temple and the law. The temple and the law. You go to the temple to meet with God. And you relate to God in your daily life by following the law. And they're like, you need to follow the law. You need to follow every law. 
And Peter speaks against this. So he has gone at the core foundation of their beliefs, of their religion, to say, you know what? It's not just about this place called the temple where you worship God and these laws, which is the structure and the format for which you relate to God. There's something more. There's something fuller. There's something better for you. Well, they don't want to hear this. And so um, things, things get out of control. Um, Stephen is shouted down and, um, um, and bad things happen. But, but he gives, before all that happens, he gives this historic defense of the faith, right? This historic defense of what he believes and what truth is all about. And he appeals in this defense to the Old Testament scriptures, which the Jewish high council would have been very familiar with. So Peter, essentially in this speech that he gives, which goes on for the better part of a chapter in Acts chapter seven, is um, he essentially highlights three great men of faith from the Hebrew scriptures. And he starts with Abraham. And he talks about Abraham and how Abraham was a man who knew God, who had a relationship with God. And God came to Abraham and said, hey, stop what you're doing, stop where you're living, move over here because I wanna make a nation out of you. You're gonna be the beginning of this lineage. So change everything that you're doing, follow me over here and let's form a nation. And and Abraham listens and he does that and he had a relationship with God. And then he gets into talking about Joseph And Joseph, as you know, was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. And through that selling into slavery, he ends up in in a foreign country in Egypt. And um, instead of being in this foreign land and and facing tough circumstances and being, you know, shunned or abused or enslaved even longer, he ends up getting into the government and being given this high position in the government because he had such integrity. And he starts administering um, some of the government functions in Egypt. So Joseph trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord to be in a foreign place, to follow out God's plan, and God used him in a mighty way in that very uncomfortable position that he put him in. And then Stephen goes on to talk about Moses and how Moses rescued God's people from slavery from the nation of Egypt. So how, you know, Moses, of course, goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's this evil, evil dude and he's killing the Egyptians and he wants to suppress them so they can't rise up and keep growing to be a strong people. So they're enslaved in terrible conditions. But God uses this man who he knew, who he had a relationship with to free these people. And it was not an easy job. It was difficult. It was challenging. It was hard. Moses was up against it. But he knew his God And he had a relationship with his God and his God used him. So Stephen gives this example of Abraham, this example of Joseph, Joseph, and this example of Moses as men who knew their God, not just a God who existed in a particular place and who related to them over a series of complex laws, but a God who, who knew them and who they knew their God. And he was with them. He was in them. He was around them. He was in these places where he called them to a foreign land, to a foreign government. He was there and they knew it. And that's how God got things done. He related to his people. He put them in situations, in real life context. And then things happened and he was their God and they were his people. And so Stephen's trying to communicate this to the high council. Like you've got it all wrong. You've got a personal God who's here and he's here. He's not just there in the temple 
And you can relate to him. You can talk to him. You can listen to him. You can follow him. You don't just have a set of these rules on a piece of paper that you have to follow to relate to your God. Well, of course, did not go over well because again, the attack is coming against the Jews. He's attacking in their mind the temple and he's attacking the law, the two things that they held most dear. At the pinnacle of uh, Stephen's speech, um, he says this to the religious leaders. So if you want to follow along with me, I'm in um, Acts 7, verses, I'm going to start in verse 51. So he's getting to the end. He's given all this Abraham, Joseph, and Moses uh, soliloquy that he's put out there. And then he says to them, he says, you stubborn people. Your Bible might say stiff-necked. You stiff-necked people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law. Remember, the law that they're so offended that he's talking about right now. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. That hurts. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So three things to note in these verses, starting in verse 51. One, Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, thank you, Vicki. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the ones with which he was accusing were resisting the Holy Spirit. So you see this battle, this spiritual battle being waged between Stephen, who's full of the Holy Spirit, and the the high council, who is resisting the Holy Spirit. Um, Secondly, this idea of being stubborn or stiff-necked, the, the Jews would have understand it. It's an agricultural reference. So when they would plow their fields and they would use these strong oxen to plow their fields, I mean, imagine a big, strong ox with a big, strong, muscular neck. When that ox would get gone with the plow, the ox could be stubborn. So the farmer would want the ox to turn because there's a certain pattern to plowing the field and you want to turn all the soil in the right way so it's fertile and can be used appropriately to grow all the crops that they need. But sometimes the ox would be very stubborn and he would just keep, or she, would just keep looking forward and would keep plowing ahead. Literally, the ox's neck was stiff and it would go where it was facing. So the farmer would have to like poke and prod the ox to get it to turn its neck so then the plow would turn so they could plow the appropriate pattern for um, the, the planting and the harvest then. So they're being just like this animal, which they would understand, that wouldn't turn, that wouldn't turn the right way. They just wanted to look a certain way. They wanted to look at the temple, and they wanted to look at the law, and that's all they wanted to know. 
and all this other stuff about being filled with the Holy Spirit and about Jesus coming among them and saving them, they didn't want to hear that. They were stiff-necked. They were stubborn. And so Stephen is calling them out. You are stiff-necked, stubborn people. Thirdly, Remember Keith used this physical picture of reaching out. And he did, if you were here last Sunday, um, they did a little skit up here where the Holy Spirit knocked on the door and the people went to the door. And then the Holy Spirit said, oh, hi, it's good to see you. Here's some gifts we brought to your home. And the people who owned the home went, thank you. And they reached out and took the gifts from the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you were here, you remember that. So now in this passage, resisting the Holy Spirit, you see two other physical gestures happening that are the opposite of that reaching out. You have the shaking of the fist. It's kind of funny. When I was kind of looking this up on Google, the sh- you know, I think, oh yeah, everybody knows the, sh- the cultural shaking of the fist. They always say that people that are like older and wiser shake their fist. Like kids don't shake their fist. Now, I don't know that if that, is that true? But I, I don't know if it's a generational thing. doesn't matter. But the shaking of the fist, no, I hate you. Stop it. Shut your mouth, Stephen. Right? It's such a different gesture than reaching out and receiving. It's this aggressive, almost, I want to punch you, but I'm holding myself back from punching you. If I was that bad of a person, I would punch you. But I'm just mimicking the punch right now. And then they also, what do they do? They cover their ears and yell, ah, you know, they don't want to hear what he has to say. So if I cover my ears, that I can't hear very much right now. I can hear myself. And then if I start yelling, ah, I definitely can't hear what's being said to me. So it's almost like it doesn't exist. So if you've ever worked with kids in some way, shape or form, I mean, have, has anybody had this experience where, yeah, cover your ear? Like, I, I, I know you're talking, but I don't want to hear this because it's something that I don't want to hear. So two different gestures that are happening here. The covering of the ears and the shaking of the fist, which are very different towards the spirit than reaching out and receiving from the spirit. But, but the, the whole thing is in all this is Stephen just wants them to know God's true nature. Like that's what he's hoping for. He has to be pretty aggressive in what he's saying because now he's full of the spirit. So the spirit must be guiding him in this. Like you need to just lay it down to these people, Stephen. And so he does. But he wants them to know that that they've misunderstood who God is. Like their God is actually a loving God who is present around them, who is present in them. And he has always been that God. It didn't just change. Look at Abraham. Look at Joseph. Look at Moses. That's their God. That's who they worshiped. So there's no reason why you Jews can't know that same God who your ancestors knew, but they didn't. He's always been that God. He's always been the God of the scriptures that they knew, who they could follow in the cloud by day and the fire by night. He was present with his people. He was present with his people when he came to earth as Jesus in the form of man to live among his people and die among his people. And now Stephen is saying, he's among you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But they don't listen. And you can see the the difference in their physical and spiritual posture. Stephen um, eventually, of course, gets stoned and dies, is martyred for the faith. And even though he suffered a terrible death, he was free because he knew the Spirit. Versus the religious leaders of the high council and the Jews who were alive but they were slaves. 
They were slaves to their understanding of who God was, to his place in the temple, that limited place in the temple, and interacting with him through the law. They were a slave to their system of religion. So I want to look a little bit more closely at what it, what it means to both receive and resist the Holy Spirit. And how do those contrast each other? So when we receive the Holy Spirit, what, what, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? What does the Holy Spirit do among us? Well, the Holy Spirit conducts our steps. The Holy Spirit, another way to say that is the Holy Spirit guides us. You'll note that all of my things on the left-hand side will begin with the letter C. I'm very proud of that. <clears throat> so just take note of that. Just wanted you to know. Um, pride, not something from the Spirit necessarily. So the Holy Spirit conducts our steps. So I want to look at Judges chapter 3, Okay. So I want to read Judges chapter 3, 7 to 11. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharim. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathaim for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. Don't get lost in the names. The spirit of the Lord, remember, we're in Judges here. We're not in the New Testament. We're in Judges. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishthathame of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So here you see the spirit of the Lord coming upon a man, filling a man, and directing his steps. You are now a judge. You are now the leader of this nation. I'm under the assumption that had the spirit of the Lord not been received by him in this situation, that he would not have become the judge. But he postured himself in a way to receive the spirit of the Lord who said, you will now become the judge of these people. You will now become their leader. And so from that point on, he walked as their leader. So the Spirit guides our steps. The Spirit controls our thoughts. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. The Holy Spirit if received properly, convicts of sin. So again, let's go back to the Old Testament, to the prophets, go to Micah 3. And it says this, the prophet is speaking, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. So here the prophet, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, is compelled to speak the sin of the nation of Israel to them. So they know. So they know their sin. So they can change their ways. So they're not stiff-necked and stubborn. And then, um, I'm sorry, uh, going to John chapter 16. But now, Jesus is speaking. 
But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send you to him. I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So Jesus is saying, you need me to go away. When I go away, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin because you need that. You need to know what sin is and you need to know what the righteousness of God is. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. John chapter 14. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, Jesus said, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. It's really hard for us to live in peace of mind and heart. And we have all these cultural ways, all these medical ways, all these tricks that we defense mechanism, mechanisms to, be, to have peace of mind and heart. But the Holy Spirit is the one who brings true peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So Jesus is saying here that the Spirit's going to remind them of truth because the Spirit's going to remind them of everything that Jesus said. So that's a bonus, right? And the Spirit also gives peace of mind and peace of heart. And the world cannot give that. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit confirms our identity. Romans 8 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit names us. The Holy Spirit makes that connection between father and child in a way that that we can't make. The Holy Spirit names us. And then finally, and this is just a summary. I mean, there is so much activity from the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So I'm sure there's things up here that you're thinking of. Yes, the Holy Spirit is very active, and this is just a a selection. But the Holy Spirit causes fruit in our lives. And Galatians 5 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, which is interesting because the Jews are all about the law, but there's no, no law against these things. They are to be lived freely and liberally in the spirit of God. Okay, so that's receiving the spirit. So we can reach out, we can, we can receive these good things from the spirit of God, but we can also resist these things from the spirit of God. So what does it look like when we resist these good things. So if the Holy Spirit guides and conducts our steps, then resisting the Spirit mm, leads to unwise choices because we're not guided by the right things. We don't have the right markers leading us where we need to go. 
So unwise choices. Not all of these begin with un or the letter U. I'm sorry, I could only hold it together for one side of the chart. Um, unwise choices. What does that look like? So we don't do what we should do. And we do do. That's right, I said do do. And we do do what we shouldn't do. Right? We don't do what we should do, and we do do what we shouldn't do, which is do-do, right? You know, in the end. Um, sorry, I have kids. When we, every, we say do-do, it's like awesome. We're like, you said do-do, right? Come on. We all do that, right? I do. You do. Do you do? Do-do? Anyway, so instead of saying I love you, or I'm sorry, we say, I hate you, or I don't forgive you. Like, that stuff just eats away at our soul. We don't want to say that stuff if we don't mean it, but we want to be filled with the Spirit in a way that that we want to respond in, in hard situations with words that have power, not words that defeat us and the people that we're engaging Sometimes we choose what is fastest instead of what is best. Um, sometimes we, sh- uh, we choose what is short-lived instead of what is meant to be long-lasting because we don't have patience. Like we hear the Spirit saying like, this is the right thing, but the pressure of the moment just makes this thing so much easier to choose. You know what I'm saying? So if we don't receive um, the Holy Spirit controlling our thoughts, then we have unhealthy conversations. What do I mean by unhealthy conversations? So um, our thoughts, our conversations are driven by our thoughts oftentimes. And so um, I don't know about you, but I can often have unhealthy internal conversations about revenge that I'd like to seek on people for things that they may or may not have done to me. So I think about what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make them feel terrible because of how bad they hurt me. So I have these thoughts in my head. They're silent thoughts. I hide them from you, but they're real and they destroy my soul and they're spiritual in nature. So they're in the spiritual realm. So they might have an effect on that other person too. I don't know how that all works, but I think that's the case. So we have these conversations in our head about revenge. Or we have a lot of self-talk that goes on about maybe I'm not worthy, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. I'm not a good person. I can't live up to expectations. So there's negative self-talk that we bring, and it's not from the Spirit, because we're a child of God. And so why would we have those kinds of thoughts? So those thoughts stir in us our failures, our revenge, whatever the case may be. And they're not from the Spirit. But when the Spirit fills us, when we receive the Spirit, then our thoughts are filled with things of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, when we reach out and receive, convicts of sin. If we resist the Spirit, we embrace sin. Um, All kinds of examples here. Give one, judgment. It's so easy to judge. 
we can justify our judgment so easily. That person hurt me. They are terrible. They are this. They are that. They are going to go to hell. They are, I want them to fail. Whatever. So judgment is a sin that we embrace when the spirit is not filling us. And we live in judgment. We live in judgment. Comforts. We receive the spirit. The spirit comforts us. We resist the spirit. And we seek other comforts in the world. What comforts us? Oh my goodness. Um, Running away from a hard situation comforts us because then we don't have to deal with it or we think it comforts us. Um, Alcohol. Um, Food. Screens of any size comfort us. We we hide in these things. Uh, One of my favorite comforts that I go to and I'm going to talk about a little later is winning. Winning is a great comfort for a little bit at least. And then it fades away just like all these other falsely worldly comforts. So if I win an argument or my football team wins the game or the soccer team that I coach wins the game, ah, you can rest for a minute or two. But then you realize that these comforts are false and they don't really fulfill you. So when you resist the spirit, there's false comforts. Um, Receive the Holy Spirit, confirming your identity as a child of God. When you resist the Spirit, you go to worldly identities. What are those things that shape us? That could be success. It could be money. It could be our failures that shape us, that exist in our world, in our life. Um, It could be that our identity is shaped by particular relationships in our lives. If I could just restore this relationship or if I could just get away from this relationship or if I could just get to know that person then everything would be better and my identity can be fulfilled but our identity is in Christ and these things that we put our identity into aren't necessarily bad does the Lord want us to do well in our work does he want us to have success absolutely does he want us to have provision for our families absolutely um Does he want us to have healthy relationships in our lives? Absolutely. But when these things aren't rooted in our creator, in our father, then they simply become things attached to the world that gives us a false sense of our identity. And our identity then is on really rocky ground because those things shift and change like the sands, right? They shift and change. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, when we receive, causes fruit in our lives versus resisting the Holy Spirit. Ah, I don't want to hear what you have to say, Spirit. Be quiet. I don't want to do the right thing. It's too hard. We have worthless works. Fruit from the Holy Spirit versus worthless works. Again, all of these works could be good if they're rooted in the right stuff, like the fruit of the Spirit. But if they're unrooted in the things of the Lord, in the things of the kingdom, in the things that are eternal, then they're, they're false. They're short-lived. They end up bringing pain. So what are those things? Um, tangible things, um, good things, whatever. I mean, you can fill in whatever work, whatever you like doing. But if it's not rooted in with the Lord, then what is that work for? What have I accomplished on my job if, I don't doing it, if I'm not doing it unto the Lord? What, what am I accomplishing in my neighborhood if it's not unto the Lord? What if my vot- motivation is outside of who he is and who I am in him. 
receiving versus resisting the Holy Spirit. So, okay, so let's bring it down even like closer towards some application and some illustration in our life. Um, First one, a little bit of an application. So, you know, when you're in a conversation with somebody, somebody you know well, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, a family member, a child, a parent, um, a coworker, somebody you know well, it's, we get into these places of argument, division with them, and, and we know what to say that like cuts right to their heart. We know what to say that just brings pain to them. And we do it on purpose. So you find yourself in this argumentative state and you're hurting somebody that you know really well. And the reason you're able to hurt them so deeply is because you know them so well. So you're able to cut to those deep places and just rip at like something that's fresh and raw or an old wound that's there. In the midst of that, we, we hear the spirit say, that was just unfair. That was cruel. That was wrong. So do we heed the spirit? Do we receive the spirit in that moment and stop and offer an apology or back up the conversation and say, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I know I hurt you. Or do we resist the spirit and say in our head that they deserve that. They hurt me. So I have every right to say that cutting word that just cuts at the core of their identity. And we've all been there. And probably nine times out of 10 or more, we just keep charging forward and we don't listen to the spirit. We don't receive that. Well, what if I, what if I apologize and they don't apologize for all the hurt that they brought me in this conversation or the past hurt? What if that happens? That's not fair. Well, that's not part of it. The part of it is what is the Holy Spirit doing now in the moment? And are you receiving or are you resisting? And that situation takes a ton of courage. Like if you put yourself out there and say, whoa, my goodness, I, that, I should not have done that. That was wrong. That was hurtful. You may not get a great response from the other party. You're darn right it was, and you do it every time we have an argument, and you're doing it again. How can I even trust that you really even care and you really apologize? You know what? Yep, that might be the response. But if the Spirit of God is present in us and among us, I believe, and you can believe, that something better can happen. Maybe not in that conversation, but maybe the next one. And then something beautiful happens in that relationship. Um, okay, so now I want to give you uh, another illustration. So this is from my life, and you've heard me talk about this. Um, I talked about it when I came back from sabbatical because it was something the Lord was really engaging me on when I was on sabbatical two years ago. I brought it up a couple times in sermons. I've probably talked to you about it. We probably have joked about it, um, but it's a very real thing. You've heard me talk about it as a very real thing in my life, and that's youth soccer. I thought there'd be more chuckles there. So yeah, so it's this very real thing in my life that I've battled with for the better part of seven years. Ever since I started coaching Caleb, who's sitting there in his soccer jersey this morning. Great job, bud. And uh, no, when Caleb was five, probably six. So for the past eight years, it's just been this battle. So you may not be into soccer. You may not be into youth sports. You may not be into sports. You might be like, oh, here comes another sports thing from up front. That's okay. Don't check out. But what I'm about to tell you is 
an example from my life of heeding the spirit and, and put your thing in place of youth soccer, okay? Put your thing there. Don't tune out about youth soccer if you don't care about soccer. So my issue, as I've said before, is that I put a lot of value, a lot of my identity into winning and losing. And as a coach and having coached youth soccer, my identity is hanging on whether or not these five-year-olds or 12-year-olds can put a ball into a back of a net, right? Which is kind of silly when I think about it and say it, particularly publicly in front of a lot of people that I love. But it's real, okay? It's a real thing in my life that there's something about if my team wins, then I have value and worth and I have accomplishing something good for this world. And if I lose, there's this way too much pain. It's crazy. And I feel this sense of loss, of devaluation in my life. And so I just have battled with this. But then, you know, you win and you feel good and you, it's almost like a relief more than it is like, woohoo! It's like, whew, you know? And then you wait until next week and, you know, Friday comes and the game's on Saturday and I'm like, I'm already feeling the anxiety, like building up, like, oh, there's a game tomorrow. If it got canceled, that would be so much better because then I could feel normal and healthy instead of like this crazy human being putting my identity on the shoulders of, you know, six and seven and eight-year-olds. And, you know, then we have the game and we win or lose and I go through this comfort or this turmoil and pain. And it's just, it's not okay and it's not healthy. So I've been really, it's really been kind of coming to a head with me. And um, Courtney and I have talked about, like, am I really supposed to coach Am I really supposed to do this? Like, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Like, I've met great people, good kids, families, coached with other great guys. Um, But is it really worth it? Can I handle it? No, I can't. But to step away from it seemed like I was giving up something that I needed to literally live my life. Like a drug, in a way. Like, I know it's unhealthy, but I need it. I have to have it. So, this season, so, well, okay, so, you know, you want your kid then, if you're this, you know, you have this problem that I do, to be good and to be on a good team, right? That's the natural place that this goes. So even when you get there, it's not satisfying. It's just not satisfying. And, and, I'm, and I'm wrestling with this with Caleb and with Sammy internally, and I am trying to figure this out. I'm trying to solve this, and I can't, and, I've, and, I, and I can't for a long time. So this season, I coached this really good team. They're really good. And I like that they're really good. But I still feel that pain and that turmoil. And I'm just like, I can't wait till the season's over. I love the off season the best. And I'm noticing Sammy is kind of like not really into soccer much this season. And he's saying things like, um, oh, I practiced tonight. <sighs> Practice gets in the way of my bike riding. Or, Dad, I really want to build something with wood. Can we just build something with wood, which I can't do? We've tried. It's been terrible. Sammy's ended up in tears. Or um, he'll just grunt when he knows that he has to go to practice. Um, So I'm watching his body language, and I'm just like, this kid doesn't want to be out here. Like, what am I transmitting to my child? 
What am I giving him from this stuff that I think I'm kind of packing down inside of me? What am I transmitting to him that all of a sudden soccer is not fun for him? So last week, we sat down at the table and I said, and I had a piece of paper. And I've asked him, do, do you still want to play soccer? Yeah. Or, hey, buddy, can we talk about soccer? I don't want to talk about it. I still want to play. Like, he's literally covered his ears, you know, and I'm just like, mm, this isn't right. I don't know if he really wants to play. If he covers his ears and talks over me, does he really want to play soccer? What am I doing to my child? So we sat down, and I took a piece of paper. And I said, hey, bud, okay, you can play soccer. I know we've already talked about this already, and you can do one 4-H woodworking club. Mm, sounds good, right? Or you can do, like, 4-H woodworking, 4-H electricity club. We can go on more bike rides together. Um, maybe you can do a couple fun runs because he likes to run at soccer practice when the coach says, all right, the uh, consequence for this drill is going to be you have to run all the way to the end of the field, which is like 300, 400 yards down there on the path and come back. And Sammy literally is like... <sighs> so I'm like, dude, you can't sabotage your team's losing. Like, you can't sabotage this. So I'm like, okay, so he likes to run, and he gets excited about that. So maybe you want to do some fun. And so he is, he's like, I don't want to do soccer. I want to do this stuff. And, like, I felt, like, this weight lift off of me. And it was just like this thing happened, like, in that moment. And I was just like, that's all it took. Like, if I just would have listened to the Spirit five years ago, I mean, maybe we'd be at a different place. Maybe I would just be going to games and watching my kid play and not coaching and putting my identity on a win or a loss. Maybe my kid would enjoy soccer more. Regardless, we're at this point where we are, and we're going to go a different path. And he's happy about it, and I'm happy about it because, because I heeded the Spirit after all those years. And we all have that kind of thing, that thing that we want to hold on to that seems like it matters so much to us. Like we can't live without it, but yet it brings this kind of pain to us. It brings this heartache in our soul and it eats away at us. And we say, I can't live without it, but deep inside we want to just live without it. But we can't, like if we say no to it, like our life is gonna fall apart in some way. And our life isn't gonna fall apart because we're held together in Christ. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and speaks to us and speaks to us about youth soccer or about a job or about a dream that we think that we wanted to accomplish and we never did and we still hold on to it and it eats us up. Or maybe it's a failure from the past or multiple failures from the past or something. And we hold on to it and we have to figure it out. We have to make it right. We have to make it better. We have to squeeze all the life out of it and drink that. And what we're doing is we're just squeezing the life out of it and ourselves. And the Holy Spirit the whole time is saying, just let go. Just reach out and receive what I have for you. Stop squeezing this thing to death that's already killing you, that you think is giving you life. It's not. Let it go. I have you. I have you. And we end up in these places and we do it to ourselves for years, potentially. And it's killing us. And the Spirit says, I've got life to give you. Let go. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we live in freedom. When we resist the Holy Spirit, we're slaves. We're slaves to these things. Receiving the Holy Spirit, freedom, Resisting the Holy Spirit, slavery. All the things over here that we talked about, 
conviction of sin, thinking thoughts of the Spirit, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, knowing that our identity is in the Lord versus this stuff, judgment, winning, screens, food, alcohol, false identities, it just enslaves us. 2 Corinthians 3, which we sang today, 317 says this, for the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we're not, if, if we are enslaved, then we're not in the spirit. If we're shaking our fist or we're covering our ears, we're saying that we think we know better than God. We think we know better than God's spirit who he brought to live among us, to guide us into all truth. This is a dangerous place to live. This is a very dangerous place to live. We hurt ourselves and we hurt the people around us. We're gonna transition to communion now. Um, The Noms are gonna be leading communion and uh, Tessa and uh, Jason Brubaker will be um, back near the communion table praying. So you can go to Tessa or Jason. Um, They can pray for you in these things. But as we go to communion, know this, that we serve a God who is near us. He is here and he is here in the spirit. And communion is a reminder that our God is among us. Our God is among us. Our God came down to earth to live with us. He died for us. And then he went back to be with the Father and left the Spirit to be with us. And communion becomes a reminder of all of that in our life. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, um, yeah, team, you can come on up. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to share communion here with us at Cornerstone. Just approach the table, um, tear a piece of bread off and dip it in the juice and take communion. And I would encourage you, if the Spirit is speaking to you, to receive prayer um, from one of our prayers. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna um, step into communion. Lord, thank you that your spirit speaks, that your spirit is alive. Um, Thank you that you are alive, that you give us your spirit. God, so we know your truth. We know your love. We know how we're to walk. We know where our identity is. And God, when we shake our fist, when we cover our ears, we're walking a dangerous road because we're tuning out what you have to say to us. As hard as it may be to listen to that, as, as, as much as it may change the course of our life, um, as much as it might make us release or give up something or do something that we just can't or we don't think that we can, God. God, give us the courage and give us the power to do those things, God, so that we can walk with you, so that we can be filled with your spirit, so that we can receive the goodness of your spirit, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.